We're happy to be joined by Milwaukee Brewers President of Business Operations, Rick Schlesinger, and the President of the Milwaukee Bucks, Peter Fagan. Gentlemen, I want to first of all thank you for being a part of a very important town hall discussion as you're both in very different stages of your season, uh, but challenges exist nonetheless. Thank you for making some time for us today. Glad to be here. Thank you for having us. You bet. And uh, Peter, I guess I'll start with you. And uh, same question for you, Rick. Uh, really, but Peter, a year ago today, the Bucks were preparing to face the Raptors in Game 3 of the Eastern Conference Finals. Well, here we sit. 17 games on the regular season have been postponed. What has been the greatest challenge as president of the Milwaukee Bucks for you over the last couple of months? I think it's the same challenge kind of a lot of leaders and uh, you know a lot of managers have had, as well as you know everybody, is how to communicate and how to really plan for the unknown. You know, I think we're, we're navigating, we're trying to navigate a roadmap that doesn't exist or we don't know where it exists to. So when you have like Rick and I have, you know, literally thousands of people who depend on their livelihoods for us. We have players who play, we've got coaches and, you know, what we don't have a lot of times is a lot of answers. You know, we have a lot of discussions without a lot of decisions, um, you know, and that's, and you know, the only kind of equilibrium in the whole thing is everybody's going through the same thing, but that's the biggest challenge is, you know, we're in, businesses. I'm a supreme optimist. I'm dying to kind of turn the key and get things done. And, you know, the real frustration and and the real challenge has been, you know, we're in a place where we don't have all the answers and we can't really make final decisions now. And Rick, of course, your season has not yet started uh, with the exception of a few spring training games. What's been the greatest challenge facing the Milwaukee Brewers? It's, it's first of all, it's, keeping you know our our staff safe and healthy and updated and uh you know we're trying to model so many different scenarios each of which have a monumental financial uh implication for us and for our industry and for the country and we're trying to figure out um, a lot of different pathways to be able to hopefully in a safe manner uh you know resume spring training have a regular season of unknown duration have a postseason, uh, do it in a responsible manner that doesn't divert, you know, important resources from, you know, the community at large. And it's, it's been tough. And we've, the, the common bond is, is people are going through this. And, you know, we are in the entertainment business and we know our place. And there's a lot of essential businesses and services that are important and a lot of businesses that need support. And, you know, my hat's off to, to all these people who are doing so many great things in our community to try to keep us safe. And I guess in regard to baseball, Rick, the season hasn't started yet. Basketball's in a little bit different of a position. There's a foreign country involved here with the Toronto Blue Jays in Canada. You'd love to be talking about this nine-game homestand that should be starting tonight against the Yankees with the Cubs and Giants coming to town. Your venue holds 40,000 people. As you work through the challenges of budgeting for a variety of different scenarios, do you also take into consideration what can be done at Miller Park to improve the health and safety of fans or anybody who enters the facility? Yeah, we, you know, one of the things we're first and foremost focused on is, you know, how do we get our players and our uniform personnel and our core support staff to Miller Park to prepare for a season? And baseball has just issued a 67-page first draft manual of all the health and safety protocols, and we're literally combing through it line by line. And that is the first operation business. If we're fortunate enough to get through that and have a season, 
uh, in all likelihood, it's going to be without fans. Uh, and, but having said that, we are modeling for opportunities where we could have fans. I don't know that we're going to have 40,000 fans be allowed at Miller Park uh, anytime soon in this season, but we are doing a lot of different models and a lot of different protocols for having some fans in. And, and obviously, uh, same thing I assume with the Bucks is, you know, we want to be doing things responsibly and safely. Uh, and again, a lot of information, a lot of really smart people helping us figure all that out. Yeah, Peter, a similar question to you. I know Pfizer Forum isn't quite the same size as Miller Park, but the volume of events uh, throughout the first uh, you know year plus of, of the arena's existence has is, is been extraordinary. What sort of steps do you have to take in, in working to improve the health and safety of fans or anybody attending an event at Pfizer Forum? Yeah, you really have to rethink operations, you know, which I think everybody is. You've got to, re, you know, we we think of touch points, you know, which are literally, you know, thousands of people, thousands of of things. It's an escalator railing. It's an elevator button. It's your food and beverage business, which is going to be completely transformed in the way it's ordered in the way, how do you create a contactless environment as much as possible, you know, going forward? So it's, it's, it's a real different way of thinking. How do you overlay the labor on that? And then, you know, what we all think about and kind of what keeps us up is how do we sanitize? How do we decontaminate? How do we function, you know, over a period of time? So like Rick said, I mean, we're, we're thinking of all the same scenarios as, you know, how do you start? We're a little bit different in that we're, you know, optimistic that we might have an opportunity for playoffs, but how do you, how do you operate fanless? How do you operate with limited fans and how do you operate, you know, when you get further down the road with, with closer to capacity are all the things we're thinking about. But I think like the way you have to think about it operationally is, is like on a protective measure is how do you reduce the contact points, which is, kind of what we're doing and then it's a whole different type of training you know on the employee side yeah and some of the questions i'm going to ask you today gentlemen i I know there's not a concrete answer but i do ask it from the standpoint of you guys being closer to the conversations than we are so we're trying not to do too many hypotheticals or or look into the crystal ball but i may ask you a gut feeling question or so And, and peter with regard to the rest of the season do you think another game will be played at Pfizer Forum before a champion is crowned in the NBA? I think there's an opportunity. You know, I think there's also an opportunity to to execute, which has been said by Adam Silver and and kind of in the media that you know to look at look at destinations to to execute the playoffs at, whether they be you know Orlando or Vegas and different positions like that. But yeah, I certainly think you know I think I think back to kind of what I said at the beginning. I've never been in a more fluid situation in my whole life where if you asked me this question two weeks ago, I would have given you a completely different answer because testing wasn't anywhere near where it would be. The thoughts aren't, you know, we hadn't talked to the players uh, union the way we, we had talked to them. There hadn't been, you know, an evolution with execution of, of public events and, and kind of what's and a loosening, you know, of, of what's going on on a, on a state by state basis. So, you know, my, my hope is, you know, we are we are certainly getting closer to the possibility of of having games, um, you know, which would be which would be fantastic. Well, and I, I, you could see a, a scenario developing in the NBA where maybe just a postseason tournament starts and there are neutral sites. Rick, it's a little different with baseball here, given the volume of travel, the volume of games. And even if it's cut in half, that's still a full regular season in the NBA. Do you envision when baseball does begin that 
the schedule will have to be reworked in a way that reduces travel or finds a way to make travel a little bit more safe for the teams? Yeah, I think so. I think the the view is if we're going to have a shortened schedule from competitive balance perspectives and travel restrictions, uh, we're going to have a you know look at a completely different schedule, and and that may be a regional schedule. We might play more interdivision games and play games against the AL Central teams, for example, as opposed to traveling out west or out east for for games. Um, and that's something that's being looked at. Uh, again, it's it's the the primary goal is the health and safety of our of our players, of our staff, uh, and and everybody connected to the game, and ultimately the fans. If we're fortunate enough to have fans come to Miller Park, but yeah, there's there's going to be a whole range of different things uh, this season. Be you know from the schedule, from rosters to rule changes, and and again, it's it's trying to be nimble, trying to be flexible. Uh, and working in concert with the Players Association to tr- do what we can to responsibly get the game and get to, get our season started. Well, and there is no precedent, right? This has never really happened where we've had to pivot during the middle of a pandemic. So no league is really off the ground and running quite yet. However, in Korea, things are happening. Can anything be learned for how the Korean baseball organization is operating today? Well, from from my perspective, there, there's some good developments coming from the, the KBO. First of all, you know they're off to a good start and played a material number of games without interruption, and that's obviously a great indicator. Uh, they're placing a huge priority on safety of the players and all the people associated with the events, and they're doing, you know, frequent and effective testing. Uh, they're doing some you know unique and somewhat innovative and creative things in terms of you know virtual crowds, artificial crowd noise. Uh, advanced technology. So, yeah, I think I think in, you know, obviously the countries are very different. The situation is very different, but there are some lessons and opportunities to gain knowledge from what they're doing over in Korea. Peter, of course, the Bucks aren't the only show in town when it comes to Pfizer Forum. Can you estimate roughly how many events have been missed over the last couple of months at the arena? Yeah, we've probably had to postpone or reschedule or cancel about 20, 25 additional events. Um, you know, of all different shapes and sizes, of probably you know seven larger concerts um, over the time period. So it's it's been you know a complete shutdown, which you can imagine, and has been um, you know all over the country. And in such a vibrant district, and I, and I know it's got to be challenging too for you know the organization and season ticket holders and fans alike. What has that communication with season ticket holders? been like because seasons typically aren't you know pay as you go yeah i I think the one thing we made a big concerted effort is we we have about twelve thousand you know with twelve thousand seats about seven thousand accounts and 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 all those accounts it was important to us got communicated to immediately sometimes with kind of that we don't know the answers and and where it is we communicated to to those accounts on as we realized and we still don't know kind of what the future is their, their flexibility and their optionality on credits and refunds and things like that. I mean, our, our strategy is, is very simple, how to, be, how to be as succinct and timely as possible and, and transparent as possible. And, and it seems, you know, the one great thing about Wisconsin and Wisconsin sports fans and Bucks fans is you know, they've been fantastic, incredibly supportive, um, you know, and they, they kind of understand what's going on and there aren't too many answers. So, you know, we've had in a time when, you know, a lot of people are are wondering what to do at work and do everything. We've got, you know, we've got a hundred 
folks working the phones on a daily basis, reaching out to 7,000 people, you know, keeping them, you know, uh, up to date and informed with uh, with what's going on um, in real time. Rick, from your standpoint, how has the communication with season ticket holders been and, and what can be done to answer questions when there don't seem to be a lot of answers? Yeah, they, they have been really supportive. Our, our suite holders, our season ticket holders, our sponsors have all been fantastic. And, and I, I think people in Wisconsin, um, they feel like the Brewers are, you know, are the state team and the community team. And, and they're, we're all in it together. And as Peter said, I, you know, we're absolutely trying to communicate um, as quickly as you can with as much information as you can. And, and, and we're not afraid to say, hey, we just don't know. And, and people respect that. They'd rather have us say that than, and try to, you know, predict something or, you know, make representations that we can't make. Uh, and, and people are great. They, they, they have said, listen, I, we, want, we want to see games. And I'm gonna, you know, we're going to keep our money on the account and let's hope we, we see games. And if not, we'll figure something out. And whether it's a combination of credits or refunds or other benefits, um, we'll figure all that out and, and work with each of our partners. But, but as Peter said, uh, great fans in the state, very supportive, and, and they totally get it. You know, I think back to the events of mid-March, Rick, and one positive sh- uh, test shut the NBA down. Uh, and it's really a question for both of you, but I'll start with you, Rick. Does there need to be an agreed-upon greater tolerance level for positive tests among players for the MLB season to get off the ground? Yeah, I think that's obviously a critical topic among many that we're currently discussing with the Players Association. And again, it all is under the, you know, the giant category of health and safety of players, uniform staff and everybody. And the reality is, is we're going to have to, you know, prepare in advance for different contingencies. And that contingency includes a player or more testing positive. Uh, you know, one of the key things that we're trying to do is come up with a very rigorous set of, of testing and monitoring and, you know, ways to, to quarantine, ways to address things, uh, to minimize the risk of that. But the reality is that's, that's an important topic because, uh, you know, I think it's unrealistic to think that, you know, when you have, you know, 30 clubs playing with whether expanded rosters and others, despite all the precautions, the, the likelihood is that there is going to be a positive test. We need to address that now and figure all that out. And those are top-line discussions with the PA right now. And, Peter, I'll ask you the same thing. Baseball doesn't typically have the same level of contact that basketball does, and there might be some increased level of concern. Does there need to be a greater tolerance level in the NBA? Yeah, I, I think that's the answer. It's everything Rick said, and it's going to be an agreed-upon tolerance of risk. You know, until we have a vaccine, until we really have treatments, I think the reality is everybody involved has to have a certain modicum of a, a tolerance of risk, and that's what we're kind of – figuring out now. So, uh, you know, I, th- I think that's kind of the state we're in. And, and as we define it, you know, we'll get closer to, to probably playing games. You know, I heard from Steve Kerr a couple of weeks ago, Peter, I, it, almost suggesting that, hey, if the regular season were to pick back up, the Warriors, well, they're headed toward the lottery. Maybe it doesn't make sense to finish that out. There might be some bubble playoff teams that would disagree with that sentiment. From your standpoint, and again, I don't know if there's a concrete answer at this point, does it appear to you that the regular season is over? Does it even make sense to continue with 17 games left on the Bucks schedule? I, I don't know if it appears to be. I, I think there's, you know, again, like being the, 
the delusional optimist, if there's if there's a way to do it, we'll play as many games as we possibly can. We'll fit in the playoffs. I think that's the uh, that's the objective. People, you know, teams are missing anywhere from 15 to 19 regular season games. Um, certainly, you know, there's there's a desire among teams, fans, and players to see if we can get those played. So it's more of a it's more of what's the feasibility of timing to get those done uh, in a big way. And gentlemen, I know you guys have both been uh, presiding over the organization, Rick, for a number of years. Peter, relatively new to Milwaukee, but both have found it uh, incredibly important to find ways to give back. And, and during this time where you know the revenue streams aren't quite as robust as they typically would be around this time of the year, the Brewers and Bucks have maintained their position in the community and in giving back to the community. Rick, it's been a lot of fun to watch the uh, virtual hangouts and uh, different things with uh, some of your partners online and the Bucks as well, making masks and doing the, the like. What ways have you found it most critical to give back, Rick, uh, as you know, part of a, a team that is viewed as uh, just such an important piece of the fabric of the community? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one thing we've tried to do is, is, is not forget you know, our roots, not forget that the people of the state built Miller Park, the people of the state have supported this team through good times and rough times. And, you know, we, we just did a mass distribution of, you know, about $1.3 million to all of the uh, part-time workers who service Miller Park, who's lost income because we haven't had games. And, and the, you know, that was a Brewers initiative with support from Bob Eucher and a number of our players uh, we have partnered with uh, United Way and other charities through our community foundation. We're, we're reaching out to do, you know, virtual uh, tailgates where we've delivered things to some of our fans, uh, coupons and, and some brewers memorabilia. You know, we're trying to stay connected as best we can, um, recognizing that, you know, what fans really want to see, obviously, are players playing the game. And it's as much as we're enjoying the broadcast on radio of, of classic Brewers games, um, we know that it's, it's no substitute for the real thing. But, uh, again, any, any content we can provide has been, you know, well-received. And I, I just hope that we have content of actual games so we can have you uh, broadcasting on TMJ and, and live and, and having that experience. And, Peter, can you outline some of the ways the Bucks have been able to give back? Yeah, and I think for both organizations, like it all starts from the top. So having ownership that understands what a what a big community responsibility we have, kind of makes it makes it a little bit easier for for managers like Rick and I to to execute and to give back and to to build culture. You know, because a lot of it is about our players, a lot of it is about our ownership, and then certainly like our employees who are all community geared. We're, we're really focused. You know, I, I'd say on two things. Like one is like how do we resource our, our part-time employees like during this period of time. And we've done some of the same things as the Brewers have done, as well as create an emergency relief fund. Um, and then really feeding, um, feeding people, you know, there, there is this, there is this gap of, uh, those who have, and those who do not have, and, and food is, is the differentiator, uh, all over the country, but certainly in Wisconsin. And, and we have teamed up with feeding America, as well as several of in southeastern Wisconsin, as well as several other organizations, to really figure out how can we how can we raise funds, how can we literally give food that we've had, like you know that that's available from our facility as we as we're able to allocate that and uh, and create fundraisers and and other things. And and I think the big thing you know that we're 
kind of planning for, which again is difficult, is you know we we think you know this is not a four week, this is not an eight week, you know this is not a twelve week episode that we're kind of organizing in a way to to be able to continue to sustain and resource those in need, you know whether they be our own family and staff or, or those who need you know food or, or other resources, you know for for a sustained period of time. You know, via like COVID, you know, because that's what's happening. So it, it's interesting. Like, it's really made us pivot. It's really made us focus and change. And, uh, you know, it, it's kind of great leadership from owners and, and folks like Giannis and Chris Middleton and Eric Bledsoe when they step up and say, we're going to put our money where our mouth is and we want to give back to those who, who, who resource and work for us on a daily basis.